KRCL, Salt Lake City. The Eccles Theater is partnering with Volunteers of America Utah on a winter clothing drive all month long. Warm coats, jackets, sweaters, winter boots, gloves and hats, socks, new and unused underwear, hand and feet warmers, blankets, pajama bottoms and sweatpants, and thermal underwear. All adult sizes are needed with the greatest need being sizes 2 to 4X. Items can be dropped off at the Women's Resource Center, 131 East, 700 South in Salt Lake City by appointment, or the Eccles Theater. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community this evening with me. Every weeknight from 6 to 7, we bring you Radioactive. Nick Burns has the night off. Hope you're feeling better, and we'll see you in the new year, Nick. Coming up on the show tonight, Representative Angela Romero is back in town and ready to talk Interstate 15 expansion. She was in D.C. last week, I believe it was, and we'll hear about those travels as well. We're going to get into the Great Salt Lake, as we like to do on Wednesdays. Coming up, Salt Lake Tribu Tribune reporter Leah Larson is here. She's got a bunch of stories out this month talking about different aspects of the lake, and we're going to dig into them with Leah Larson. Lake Effect, another episode. If you were a Great Salt Lake organism, what would you be? An audio postcard from our friends with the Great Salt Lake Collaborative and Utah Public Radio, which puts that together. And of course, I'll have details on how you can share your story about the Great Salt Lake. And we're going to talk to Heal Utah's Alex Villu on a rally for the Great Salt Lake coming up in the first two weeks of the new year. If you're looking for a way to get involved, lots of ways to get involved tonight. I do want to remind folks the homeless person's candlelight vigil going on at Pioneer Park. It's the coldest night of the year, the shortest night of the year. Could even get colder with this Arctic air blasting through. So please be smart out there as you're traveling around. Be prepared. And folks that are in need of help, the First United Methodist Church is open at 8 o'clock tonight for an In From the Cold movie marathon through 8 a.m. tomorrow if you need some place to get warm, get some hot chocolate, get a snack. They're doing it again tomorrow night. Doors opening at 8.30. Don't forget that Christmas food giveaway is happening on Friday, 10 a.m. at Roland Hall at 843 South Lincoln Street. You don't need to sign up. You don't need to prove you're in need. But if you need help putting that dinner on the table, they've got a frozen turkey and some sides for you. You can walk or drive up, limit one food basket per vehicle, and that is from our friends at Crossroads Urban Center. The deadline for public comment on Utah's plan to address homelessness is Sunday, January 8th. The Office of Homeless Services and the Utah Homelessness Council released a draft of the new state strategic plan. It's called Statewide Collaboration for Change, Utah's plan to address homelessness. They put that out on December 16th. There's a recording of the meeting and there's all the documents to go with. We've got a link for you. And then there is a place for you to click and add your public comment. And on that issue, coming up late January, it is 
Thursday through Saturday, January 26th to 28th. It is the 2023 Salt Lake County Homeless Point in Time Count. They need volunteers. They're looking for folks to come with two or three of their friends, maybe uh, some folks from work. You can put together a volunteer group. You go out from 4 to 6 a.m., and they have an app on a smartphone, and you talk to folks you find living on the street, ask them some questions. It's one of the ways the county tries to get its arms around those folks living unsheltered on the streets. I've got a link for you on the Rallies and Resources page of krcl.org, and it's under Community Affairs. Now, coming up on January 14th at the Capitol, the Rally to Save the Great Salt Lake, and Alex Villeneuve is here to talk to us about it. You're representing kind of a couple organizations. You're an organizer with Save the Great Salt Lake, but you're also with Heal Utah. Hi, Laura. Yeah, that's correct. Thanks Uh, for coming in. Of course. So happy to be here. Um, so yeah, my day job, I am a policy associate with Heal Utah, but I'm kind of here more in my capacity as an organizer with Save Our Great Salt Lake. And tell me about that group. Who's involved? Um, I see a lot of great artwork. You're inspiring folks to band together on the 14th, but uh, who's behind this organization? So Save Our Great Salt Lake, um, yeah, you may have seen us. We've got a very active um, Instagram page, a lot of followers. Um, we're just a, a group of folks that kind of got together last fall and you know, we had heard that Radio West uh, whole series about the lake, and we were thinking, hey, something's got to be done. We need to start getting the people together. Yeah. And it's it's way less of who Saver Great Salt Lake is, because the way that I've been talking about it recently, we just had our, our People's Great Salt Lake Summit two mm-hmm. weeks ago. 250 people showed up, and really inspiring stuff. And the way that I really think about Saver Great Salt Lake is... You know, there may be a couple folks. We're running the Instagram account. We're 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 organizing people, putting things together. But ultimately, Save Our Great Salt Lake is all of us. It's the way that we have come to terms with providing a voice for the community and, and providing a, a space for the sake of space and just providing opportunities for the community to stand up and for it not to just be a few people sitting around a table and making these decisions. It's mm. it's giving an opportunity for the grander public to have a voice. Do you think that we're starting to get some traction on this? I mean, we're going to talk to Leah Larson in a bit with her coverage, and I feel like lawmakers are starting to pay attention with the collective efforts of journalists and community partners, such as Save Our Great Salt Lake, trying to really raise the visibility of what's going on with the lake. I think so. Um, but ultimately, you know, I, I think Leah can speak probably better to where we are at and where we're heading, but I almost can speak more to we're gaining progress on the people's movement behind mm-hmm. Save Our Great Salt Lake. And, um, you know, it's in, it's important shows like Radioactive with you, Laura, that are organizing the people. It's important things. The way that Save Our Great Salt Lake has been thinking about where we fit in the grander ecosystem of, you know, th- there's been nonprofits around doing great work on mm-hmm. the lake forever. Folks like Friend of the Great Salt Lake, folks like Utah Rivers Council. Yeah. But we really just want to provide a sake for the space of space say excuse me a space for the sake of space and just a mm-hmm. way that the public can convene regularly mm-hmm. and that people summit we had last i think it was two weeks ago was kind of like our big kickoff event we had 250 people there we broke out into breakout groups we all collectively brainstormed and we're going to kind of distill all of those items together and come up with ideas from the community of how we can solve this crisis and how we envision solving this crisis from the people's 
outlook. Well, so on January 14th, I wanted to get it on people's radar before the break, and then please come back that first week of the new year to remind folks, too, okay, on the of, show? Of course. But what's happening on January 14th? What day of the week is that? What time? Where? Yeah, January 14th. So January 14th is a Saturday. It's a Saturday before the legislative session starts. Um, so we are going to be gathering on the steps of the Utah State Legislature. I'm, I'm sure a lot of folks I listen to this call have been to many of these types of <laughs> gatherings. Uh, you know, the Valleys and Resources section is, is a fantastic resource from Radioactive, and we're so happy to be on here to, to promote this event. Um, we were supposed to have an in-person event last year, but unfortunately with the, the, the latest break outbreak of COVID at that time of year, um, we had to switch to virtual last minute. Um, we did have about 650 people virtually join us for a virtual rally last year. Wow. Yeah, yeah, pretty impressive. That's that's the biggest Zoom call I've ever been on. That, that's for certain. <laughs> but Did you break Zoom? Uh, Zoom was not broken. Zoom Zoom, <laughs> Zoom remained uh, functioning. Yeah, I, I don't know what type of account we had, some type of silver, platinum, something. But <laughs> um, yeah, Zoom, Zoom kept running. Um, we had some fantastic speakers last year, and we've got some fantastic speakers this year, and we're, we're really excited to be hosting it in person. I'm really excited to see everybody there. So who's going to be speaking and what do you want folks to do? And because, um, you know, you got to you got to get a sign together for a rally. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So a sign. Um, so I'll, I'll start off with that. Um, so actually, I'm just going to kind of just advertise a bunch of events that Saber Great Salt Lake is putting together. So in the lead up, so that January 14th, that's a Saturday. That's going to be our rally. The previous Saturday on January 7th, we'll be hosting an art build. Um, you can find information about all this on our Instagram. Um, so there'll be two shifts you can show up for. I believe it's from 11 to 4. There's two different shifts. You can find all the information on Instagram again. Um, but, yeah, we're going to be putting together just these big, beautiful, beautiful art pieces for the rally. Um, so, like, you're thinking, thinking like, big, big, huge cloth banners, signs, banners yeah. um, on, on pieces of wood. Um, we have sourced some. I'm not sure who the artists are, honestly. I well, come back in the first week of January yes, with the artists. I think we're to. still in conversations. Okay. I can't, I can't right. reveal who the artists <laughs> are. But we've got some really, really great local artists uh-huh. that are putting together art we have a great screen printing space where we're gonna be putting it all together Uh um and yeah we're just gonna just show up and it's gonna be a great community space we're gonna be building these protest signs and uh what is it you're asking for because again you said the rally on saturday the 14th it is the saturday before legislative session starts and utah's part-time lawmakers will be meeting in session there will be bills about the great salt lake do you just want to put them on notice that you're that the public is watching or that there are specific demands there is a public on notice kind of element of it and it's it's, it's just kind of momentum building and solidarity and mm-hmm. you know there is that element of it of just kind of showing up in person and you know i know many people listening to this probably are having conversations around their holiday table saying hey have you seen about this there's if you show up to this rally there are so many people that have heard about this and care about this and you can kind of meet and and figure out how we're going to move forward with this um unfortunately i think as far as nitty-gritty details um as far as us so like i said we had that people's great salt lake summit and we are kind of distilling the information from that summit okay and basically going to be figuring out what the people want. You know, we had these, I led a legislative breakout session during that people summit and the sessions, the breakout sessions were an hour long. I, I keep telling people in like the, the debrief of this, like we could have gone for like three hours. Yeah. We released people for lunch and they didn't want to go to lunch. They just wanted to sit around and talk mm-hmm. to more people and ask more questions. And um, people are really excited about this. So we were, we were taking really detailed notes again, like I said, Saver Great Salt Lake is, is everyone. Um, we're hearing from the community, and as far as Saver Great Salt Lake's ask, 
that's kind of how we are um, putting forth. But we do have a lot of really good speakers that are coming as well. That may have some more specific detailed asks and, and uh, solutions. Um, so I've, I've got our speaker list right here. Let's hear it. Yeah, so um, first off, we have got uh, Luis Miranda and Olivia Juarez. They're, they're um, some renowned climate organizers who have been in the space forever, and I really can't wait to hear what they have to say at the rally. I think Olivia is now with the Green Latinos group that's she starting to is. organize um, nationwide but here in Utah. Yes, yeah, she is. Um, she, yeah, previously with, with, was with Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, and yeah, really excited for her role with Green Latinos to see what she does there. Um, and then we have got, yeah, Luis um, worked at the Sierra Club. He's a climate organizer there. Um, we've got Milo, who wrote Lake Words. Um, if you're familiar with that little fantastic um, uh, book that she put out uh, last, I don't know if it was last time. I don't know when she put it out, but it's, it's a great book if you folks haven't heard of it. Um, she always, or they always say that um, they have some really good outlooks on, on the lake, certainly. I'm really excited to hear from Milo. Um, then we have Brian Mensch from Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment, mm -hmm. um, as many I'm, I'm sure. Always does his from. homework. Always does his homework, exactly. That is well said. Uh, then we have Darren Perry, the vice chairman of the Northwest Band of Shoshone mm. um, for an uh, indigenous outlook on the lake. We have Ashley Finley joining us. We have Nan Seymour. Poets. Poets. Both. Exactly. 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 We have, we have such a fantastic lineup. Um, there are, again, I will have to come back and update you um, in the week leading up because we do have some All folks right. that aren't confirmed yet, but yeah. So Wednesday, January yes. 4th. Please plan on coming down or sending some folks to That's, remind yeah, folks about the art build that happens on the 7th yes. and then the rally on the 14th. What time is it again at the Utah Capitol? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to get back <laughs> to that. Well, I've yeah. got it in my show notes, oh, folks. Fantastic. And yeah. I'll put Thank all the you. links that you're mentioning. Are, I'm, I'm filling well. in for colleagues. So I, don't <laughs> I appreciate down. you doing that. Yeah, yeah, so noon. Too. It's yeah. noon. Start time. Noon. Noon. Show there at noon. And I have one more event, too, yes. to update you on as well. And, and that's um, something as far as specific us concerned. So, are you concerned? So, we are hosting a legislative preview um, with Heal Utah, Save Our Great Salt Lake, and the Utah Rivers Council, and that will be on January 11th. Um, so I believe that's a Wednesday. I believe that's from 6 to 7.30. I, I know the time for that. We will get all that in the show notes, folks. You don't have to rush for a pen and write that down. I know folks are really passionate about the Great Salt Lake, and I want to know what your Great Salt Lake story is, Alex. My is there any moment or visit or part oh, of the lake that really... Um, strikes home for you, strikes a chord about why you want people to be aware of what's going on and take action. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a bird guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, it's funny enough, I, you know, I, I, I care about the ecosystem, I care about climate change, I care about the, the air quality, obviously, but, um, so I used to work for Utah Rivers Council years and years ago, and um, we actually ran a series of field trips up to the Bear River to, to stop Bear River diversion. And, and one of the field trip stops we did was um, on the Bear River Migratory Bird Refuge. I still remember this one moment that, so we had cobbled together this whole coalition of like bird watchers, duck hunters, everybody you could ever think of that con was concerned about the lake. And we went out one day with the bird watchers and I was there at sunset and it was just... I still, that's, that's my story. Oh <laughs> I yeah, know. I love I'm, that place. I'm sure many resonate with that, but yeah, yeah, oh. beautiful place. What is the website? How can people get involved with Save Our Great Salt Lake? Yes, uh, Save Our Great Salt Lake. So uh, we are most active on our Instagram page. Um, if you check out our Instagram page, that's going to be the latest and greatest. We have a saveourgreatsaltlake.com, I believe. I'll make sure to put a link Thank in the you. show Thank you, yes, I <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that. Um, it's, if you use Google Save Our Great Salt Lake, you'll be able to find it, certainly. Okay. Um, but yeah, check us out if you haven't heard of us yet 
we got a lot of exciting events coming up. Um, and I always put my, go ahead and email me at my personal email, alex at healutah.org. Um, I interface with this issue on a different level. So if you're concerned about air quality, uh, that is what I work on in my day job for the, for the Great Salt Lake. Definitely reach out to me about that. But anything at all that you want to talk about Great Salt Lake, love talking to the community about the Great Salt Lake. Well, we'll so. see you in January. Hey, can't wait to come back. Alex, will you check tonight's show notes for links. When we come back, Salt Lake Tribune reporter, Leah Larson. Welcome to Lake Effect, a storytelling series showcasing how Great Salt Lake, our shrinking inland sea, has touched the lives of people around the state. If I could be any Great Salt Lake organism, I think we are finding that one of the most important organisms in this lake is the cyanobacteria called Euhalothesi that makes the maps on the microbialite and does about one-third of the photosynthesis for Great Salt Lake. I think I would be a seagull. I, I kind of envy them in a way. They just fly so majestically, um, and there's more of them than there are. It's the eagles and the hawks, which I also envy. Um, I would be a great blue heron. They're just really pretty. Let's see. I think I'd want to be an eared grebe. They almost exclusively eat brine shrimp, and they eat about twenty to 25,000 a day. They got certain organs that can decipher salt and fresh water, so they get their water and they just get to chill out on the lake all day. They have tons of food, so maybe I'd be an eared grebe. Lock this monster because it's been alive for like 200 years. My choice would be a peregrine falcon. Just because I've had opportunities over the years to see peregrines uh, take multiple different species of birds in flight, which is just cool. I don't know why I'm kind of inclined to go for like brine shrimp. Some of the more smaller species that are in abundance, I find more interesting. Like there's just millions of them. Birds are migrating right now and I'm really thinking about how cool it would be to migrate and to, you know, see thousands of miles underneath you and I mean, like our pelicans fly up to 30,000 feet. Imagine being able to fly at 30,000 feet. Probably a brine shrimp. Despite how long they live, they would probably really fun swimming around. I oftentimes tell people I want to come back as a, a raptor, like a hawk or something like that. So if there's some areas around the lake that those birds hang out, then that would be cool for me. This is Lake Effect from the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. Stay salty, Utah. And that is Lake Effect. If you have a great Salt Lake story to share, check tonight's show notes. There is a link to get in touch with the producers of that podcast. And we'd love to share your story as members of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. More details at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones, and Leah Larson is now joining us from the Tribune. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. I was just uh, in preparation for the show, looking up all your stories. You have like a ton this month about Great Salt Lake. But where I wanted to start was with one from earlier in the month, I think around December 5th or so. The Great Salt Lake's most important source of water has a troubled history, but there's hope its future may be better. And this is about the Bear River Massacre site. Yes, correct. Um, as you probably know, this was a site where, um, around the time of the Civil War, some U.S. soldiers went up there and just absolutely slaughtered a bunch of Shoshone in their traditional wintering grounds. Um, really traumatic event. Uh, they, they never went back just because of, like, all the trauma it carried. 
Um, but then just a few years ago, they were able to buy back that land, about 550 acres. And now that that's back in their hands, they are working to restore a creek that runs through it um, to what it would have looked like, something that their ancestors would have recognized. And they had started calling the site Boa Ogwai, but have a new name, Uda Ogwa. Yes, yes. Uh, I guess the Boa Ogwai uh, was kind of more spiritual in nature and where they want this to be like an educational thing with people coming from all around the world mm -hmm. kind of more secular they they thought they should just update the name well in the story you also have some audio gathered by uh folks at utah public radio i'm going to try and play one of these oh, from great. the computer it's shoshone spiritual leader rios pacheco discussing the history and significance of the great salt lake to indigenous communities uh everybody used the salt on the great salt lake for all the tribes in North America, that was like a, a place where anyone can come and gather because it spread out so far because of the desert around that area. And um, it was like there was no uh, fighting or contention to gather that because that was a food that, uh, well, that was a resource that gave life to all the people and then was also a trading resource. But then they would bring stuff and trade so that way they kept a good relationship and they kept more people coming in because of that relationship. <clears throat> so um, that's one of the things that uh, will help us today in our lives. If we learn to give and share with one another, we'll be able to be better off. And that is Shoshone spiritual leader, Rios Pacheco, talking about the history and significance of the Great Salt Lake to indigenous communities, that audio gathered by Utah Public Radio. And our thanks to news director Sherry Quinn for sharing that with the Trib and now with radioactive listeners. So in gathering the story, I'm guessing you learned a lot of history that you maybe didn't know. And it's, it's, that's pretty common, I think, across Utah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think sometimes the indigenous stories, indigenous history gets lost in a lot of these discussions. And it's, you know... It's really important. They have very deep roots here. So this story um, helped to broaden the the history, the literal archive of this um, part of the Great Salt Lake and indigenous communities, and also share the work to get this up and running now that they have it back in the tribe's hands. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, the, the massacre site is across the border in Idaho, so maybe it's hard to see the connection to the Great Salt Lake, but um, the Bear River is the lake's largest tributary. And it is an impaired river. It's, you know, polluted. It's got issues with its, you know, native fish and runoff and nutrients. And so by restoring this tributary, which is its itself impaired, it's helping to heal the river, which in turn may help heal the river or the lake. So it is yeah. kind of disconnected. I wanted to play one more clip. It's a longer one with Rios Pacheco discussing the food indigenous people collect in the Great Salt Lake Basin or wood and trade in their traditional wintering grounds. So our uh, history here in, um, and each band that came here, they were groups of families. For this area that we're describing, the Northwestern Shoshone, we come from where Grouse Creek in Northern Utah and Goose, Goose Creek uh, Mountains of Range are. And a lot of the foods that we gathered there were pine nuts, uh, <clears throat> fish, ground squirrels, rabbits and antelope and then we came further down by the Great Salt Lake by Promontory where we gathered ducks, uh, the waterfowl that were in the wetland area. Some of our group that went through um, Ogden area and, 
and into northern Salt Lake, the whole area in the, around the Great Salt Lake and the Bear River Valley is all wetlands. So our diet was pretty much a lot of waterfowl, a lot of uh, small game. And then as we came across, we came across the mountains, uh, Wasatch Mountains into Cache Valley. And this <clears throat> valley here in Cache Valley provided, uh, provided a lot of buffalo. And in Shoshone, we call it Bosani Naro Murua. But then it wasn't just the buffalo, it's also the elk, what we call Paridudihiya. And then the Sogodia, the deer. And then the Wura, the bear, because that provided us our blankets for the winter and our cloaks that we wore through the um, <clears throat> winter to keep the snow from us. And also the honey, the beaver. And those were uh, important to us because they uh, helped us with uh, being able to clothe ourselves so that we wouldn't uh, get wet. And then um, a lot of our Northwest Shoshone people that gathered here at this site brought all those different food sources and brought them here so that they could winter with all the different bands that came from Idaho, Wyoming, and Utah, and Nevada. So this place was a place to winter camp and to share all the food sources, share different types of clothing, share the different things that uh, they gathered through the summer. But most important, it was because of the river that flowed here because the river kept life going through the winter months because the river kept life going through the winter months again shoshone spiritual leader rios pacheco and that audio courtesy of utah public radio check tonight's show notes for a link to that story what did you walk away from that that's like a pretty intense conversation to have with folks absolutely and i appreciate um how candid everyone was um about, you know, the trauma they experienced and carried with them. Um, and it's kind of amazing just to think, you know, Cache Valley overrun with bison and, like, bears roaming around the Bear River watershed. Like, the, the landscape has just changed so much. It's just hard yeah. to even picture. All right. They mentioned salt in some of that audio. Mm -hmm. And U.S. Magnesium wants to dredge the canal. Since we first had you on talking about their proposal, the governor initially supported it. You've now reported he's walked back that support. And there has been another development. What's going on with U.S. Magnesium uh, and its uh, canal dredge request? Yeah, so um, just as a quick reminder, so U.S. Magnesium is having a hard time accessing the water because the lake has receded so far. So it wants to extend its canals several miles to get to that water and possibly extend them more if it continues to recede. Um, so that has a lot of people alarmed because they want to pump water out of the lake at a rate of up to 100,000 gallons a minute. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and the story that you published yesterday, I believe it was, um, has you, you talked to a retired U.S. geological survey scientist about this who says it poses disastrous consequences to the lake bed as well. What's, what's that about? Yeah, so some of your listeners are probably aware that there's some kind of concerning materials in the lake and the lake bed itself. Um, we got arsenic, but we also have mercury. And then around the area of U.S. magnesium, um, there's been some documented releases of PCBs and dioxins, which really aren't good for human health or animals. And, uh, the, you know, the EPA was going after them after all that. So while in their application, 
Um, They're saying that this is going to have, you know, no impacts to water quality, no impacts to the environment. Uh, The scientist disagrees. That's Robert Baskin that you quote in the story. And we'll put a link in the show notes, folks. You can go go read it. But do you in your reporting, did you find that this is part and parcel of why the governor maybe is walking back a bit from this? Well, so it wasn't the actually the governor. It was his public lands policy coordinating office or PLTCO. So they came out way back in April and because U.S. magnesium is the only source of domestic magnesium and breaks in quite a bit of money for the state. It's like a multi-million dollar industry, and the state takes a cut of that. It takes royalties. Uh, so they were urging the U.S. Army Corps, which has to approve this permit, they were urging them to approve it to, as quickly as possible because this is a national security issue if we don't have our magnesium. Um, and then the Tribune, we published our story um, outlining the plans for the dredging, and then two days later, Plipco issued a different letter taking a totally different stance. Um, I think what's kind of interesting about this is Plipco was formed so the state and all its agencies have a unified voice when it comes to public lands in Utah. Um, for example, if you want to put a road through public lands, like maybe the Division of Wildlife would have some different stance than like the Division of Water Rights or the, Division, the Department of Environmental Quality. So this office was formed to have a unified voice. So in this letter that they issued after we ran our story, they actually went and talked to all these state agencies who were pretty concerned about this proposal. Um, And so their stance they took was, as a state, was a little more neutral that the U.S. Army Corps should maybe work with all these parties to find solutions and maybe find ways to get their minerals without taking so much water. A couple other stories I wanted to chat with you about and make sure it's on the radar of our listeners. And that is that Congress is passing the sweeping defense bill that includes funding for the Great Salt Lake. How much are we talking and how is it different or is it just more of what we're doing, but at a federal level? Yeah. So (laughs) there's been two pretty big bills out of Congress that are going to benefit the Great Salt Lake. One that I think got the most attention was like the Sailing Lakes of the West. I don't know. It's this really long title. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But basically addresses all these sailing lakes that are disappearing across the West. You know, we were just at, as a collaborative, we were at Owens Lake and Mona Lake. So it would include them. But big focus on the Great Salt Lake. Basically, the U.S. Geological Survey gets $5 million each year over five years to study them and their, their watersheds and their hydrology and, you know, what solutions are there. And then also in this big defense bill, uh, they rolled in a bill that would direct $10 million, and it it specifically names the Great Salt Lake. That seems to be the main target. So that's a lot of money coming our way to study the lake and its hydrology and maybe find solutions. I know people would rather see action than probably studies because the situation is so Because there's been lots of studies. Yeah. That's got to be a little frustrating as a reporter, too. It's like, uh, we need a spreadsheet, a tally of the studies <laughs> to date to, to analyze as well and go, really, another study? Or is it a study of the studies? Another uh, story is about flood irrigation uh, and uses for the Great Salt Lake water recovery. It could it could also save the ecosystem. What is, what is that about? Because flood irrigation you know, you got to use it or lose it if those are your water rights. Mm -hmm. So what is this story about? Yeah, so this might seem a little counterintuitive to people, especially during this drought and the lake being in such dire straits. Like, why would you ever even suggest that flood irrigation is the way to go? But when you look at, you know, a river like the Bear River, that's kind of what it did naturally before people came in and started damming it up and, you know, growing crops and agriculture. It would, you know, kind of ebb and flow, Beer would come, beer, beaver, (laughs) 
<laughs> beaver would come in and build dams and, you know, like it, it would help keep nutrients out of the, the river and it created a lot of wildlife habitat, a lot of habitat for birds. Because if you think about all the animals and wildlife the Great Salt Lake supports, it's not just the lake, it's this entire watershed. So um, there's been some studies that show that, you know, in certain places, and I emphasize certain places, flood irrigation actually benefits the environment and the ecosystem and, and bird habitat. So we're not talking like up on the bench in Brigham City where they're growing peaches. Like that that would not be a good option for flood irrigation. But at the river bottoms where the river would have naturally been flooding throughout the season, it can have a benefit. Um, and then, the, you know, like the, the land in that area can act as a sponge and will slowly le- release water back to the river through the season so that there's, you know, a steady supply coming through and oh. maybe m- more available downstream for people later in the year. And that can benefit the Great Salt Lake. Absolutely. Now, the dateline says Evanston. So did you go up to Adrian Hunolt's farm? I did. His ranch? Yes. He was very generous to, host, Bear River? to host us up there in Wyoming, right at the headwaters of the Bear. Um, and thanks to the Great Salt Lake Collaborative for paying for that trip and that reporting. <laughs> <laughs> We're able to pool our resources and then share these conversations, <laughs> folks. And then I wanted to close with the snowpack. And will December's big storms make a difference for the Great Salt Lake? Published just this morning online. The state snowpack's off to a good start, but the lake's going to need a lot more to recover. And I, that's something I've been thinking a lot about, Leah, is you see how the snow come down. It doesn't necessarily translate apples to apples or flake to water, right? Right. No, I mean, when skiers, you know, are, are celebrating because we got a big, like a foot of snow, there's only a few inches of water in that snow. That's why our powder is so light and airy and nice, you know. So while, like, what is a foot of snow in the mountains maybe only translates to a few inches and, you know, it's got to get absorbed by the soil first before it runs off. So it's a little more complicated. So in your story, you share, you go through it and, and break it down for folks. And I think that's the, the big, biggest benefit of your reporting in the collaborative is breaking it down for people to understand and wrap their arms around. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, w- I mean, the, I was able to ask the Division of Water Resources to do some modeling for me about, you know, what kind of storm would it take to, you know, move the dial for the lake. And what they told me is that we would need like five years-ish of an average snowpack, which we haven't seen. in. What if we get epic? Yeah. Epic snowpack. So if we had a season like the 2016-2017 winter, which may seem like distant past, but if you remember, there was a bunch of flooding in like Box Elder County that year. It was like pretty, pretty big. So they said we would need two years like that to get the lake to an elevation where it, its resources would be sustainable, I guess. Which you report is 4,195 feet. And we are not near that. We are not. We're about six feet off of that. All right. So what are you working on next? Um... Looking at some laws coming up, perhaps, in the legislative right. session. The legislative session is about to start. So we've been talking to some people who work with the lake or are affected by the lake about, you know, what's on their wish list, what would they like to see lawmakers do. Um, and then, of course, we're looking at, you know, lawmakers, the state, they're throwing a lot of money into this uh, leasing of water rights from farmers. Uh, I think they're really banking on that maybe being a big solution, but it, farmers seem pretty hesitant to participate. So yeah. that's something we're working on to figure out why. Whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, where can folks track down all your reporting? Um, well, my reporting is at sltrib.com, but, you know, as a collaborative, we're sharing it all over the place. So you can go to greatsaltlakenews.com or, um, you know, a lot of the 
you're more of a Deseret News reader, some of our reporting's in there. So it's really been fun to watch us all get along, I guess. I know. But uh, <laughs> And shine a light on some solutions. So folks, check tonight's show notes. And I've got a, a list of the December stories from Salt Lake Tribune reporter Leah Larson. Thanks for coming in. Have a great holiday. Yeah, you too. Thank you. For the lake, I got in a little Aretha Franklin, some Save Me on KRCL 90.9. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event, a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com. This is Ma Black, host of Night Estéreo, Saturday nights from 10 p.m. to midnight. Join me for Music Without Borders from Lila Downs to Bomba Estéreo, Pamplemousse, and Zoe. I invite you to discover multilingual artists from all over the globe with Night Estéreo, only here at KRCL. Música sin fronteras. Ma's got a great ear. Do check out her show. And you can catch uh, any show for the last two weeks. On our website, krcl.org, under programs, click on On Demand, and then sort by date or show, and uh, listen away, and spread the word, won't you? I'm Laura Jones, you're listening to Radioactive, and coming up at 7, it's Democracy Now!, followed by Rude Awakening with Liz Schulte, and she's got a Terry Hall special, Terry Hall of the specials just passed away, she's going to pay tribute tonight on the show, and then Maximum Distortion with Forgash and Cody D at 10.30, John Florence on your brand new day at 6 a.m. Representative Angela Romero is back in the studio with me, thanks for coming down. Thanks for having me. District 26 for another couple of weeks, and then it's District 25 as like of a, January a, a week. <laughs> <laughs> Due to uh, the redistricting that happens once every 10 years based on the census. But wanted to get your take on what's happening with this I-15 expansion. We've spoken with Senator Luz Escamilla, Mar- Maria Garcia's from NeighborWorks Salt Lake, the Sweet Streets folks, folks down on Argyle Court who are going to be really impacted by this rebuild of I-15 from Farmington to Salt Lake, but it's not just a rebuild, it's an expansion. So what have you heard? When did you hear it? And let's get into your concerns. I think the first time I I heard it was from constituents and their concerns about what the expansion was. And just, it's interesting how information got shared and they're like, well, the legislature is doing this. I'm like, whoa, let's, let's, let's kind of play detective here and find out where all these pieces come together. And so um, these are recommendations and they're part of a larger picture. And so um, I'm not I'm not supportive of expanding that part of, you know, I-15, especially when the west side is carried a lot for the state of Utah, particularly the west side of Salt Lake City. And there have been times when Senator Escamilla and, my, and Representative Hollins have spoken out um, with concerns like with the prison. And, you know, we, we've had these concerns about... Um, Operation Rio Grande and now with this particular project. Um, but the project overall and what the um, what we're trying to do as we look at other forms of transportation, talking about electrification of uh, Front Runner, talking about more public transit. So there are some pieces to this overall vision that are not um, a disadvantage to our communities as well. So I think when we look at the overall picture, we have to look at how does that all, um, how does that help us as a community when it comes to the air we breathe? And so again, just because I'm saying that doesn't mean I agree with this one particular piece that people should be 
concerned about and people should express their opinion about. And uh, I think it's um, an opportunity for us as a community to come together and, and share those concerns. And, and having people like Maria Garcias, who is a staple in our community, give that history and that background. Because we have a lot of new people in, in our community, and I embrace everyone who lives in on the west side and who's chosen to to live on the west side but there are a lot of people who have history here their third fourth generation and their families have a history to our neighborhoods and i don't want those voices to get left out of the conversation and so that's why i think it's so important to have organizations like maria garcia's um, share absolutely and she talked about the history that there is little trust with with udot the people running udot today aren't the people that ran it back when i15 was built and i i think there's like an institutional knowledge gap there when it comes to talking to the community what did you hear at the town hall that you and senator escamilla and representative hollands held at the fair park about two weeks ago yeah we invited udot to be there and again we have to look at the wasatch front regional council and who's on that council who has who have reported you know who were tasked with um, providing a vision and then UDOT is implementing now and and we're still not where we we're where we're, we're, we have a final say like this is what's going to happen so I'm glad that we're having community engagement now we're putting pressure and we're um, expressing concern because I feel like people um in our neighborhoods and, and ourselves as elected officials have expressed these concerns many times and, and we've been ignored. From Inland Port to the prison, uh, all of that. Um, Operation Rio Grande. Yeah. Again, I remember one time Greg, Greg Hughes, who was the speaker at the time, looking at me and, you know, there was one red dot on the board and it was me, which was a no vote. And he looked at me and I just smiled at him. And so, again, sometimes, you know, we stand up for things and stand up for the people who we represent and make sure that voice is there and and create a space or create our own spaces. And so I think this is an opportunity for us to to start these conversations and and talk about the impact of community. And, and with widening a freeway, is that really going to change um, the flow of traffic? Is it really going to change the emissions that are put out there? And so... We all, when we think about that, we also have to think about other forms of transportation and how we utilize that. But also with people like myself who are privileged, who can ride our, my bike or um, who, um, you know, drive, drives in a car that, you know, is more environmentally friendly. Um, how do we make sure that we're not excluding other voices that might not have those same privileges that live within this neighborhood? And I think that's those are the voices that um, NeighborWorks and Maria Garcia um, bring to the table. And I think that's why it's very important because there are a lot of people who live in the Glendale and Poplar Grove community now who can work from home and, and who have these means and who are out there advocating. And I appreciate them advocating but I also want them to remember that they have blind spots and not everyone that's living in our neighborhoods can um, can walk to work or can ride their bike to work because there are a lot of people in our neighborhoods that are um, sharing a, a small home with other families and they have to utilize, use their car and use the freeway to go to their three or four jobs. And we can talk about that infrastructure and talk about the social determinants of health and my utopia of what I'd love to see happen in our community. But we have to also talk about the realities as yeah. well. And we can't forget about those individuals when we're talking and having these conversations. One of the realities, as UDOT has explained, is this isn't just for the current traffic load on I-15. It's planning out 
like the Wasatch Front Regional Council is tasked to do, 50 years, keep moving that plan, updating it every five years and keep moving it forward so that we're not caught with a, a gigantic amount of infrastructure we need to rebuild. The part of in Salt Lake from 600 north to 400 south hasn't been uh, updated seismically and with repairs in a meaningful way some as far back as the 80s so that's my understanding of why that expansion is happening or rebuild is happening in Salt Lake they want to create some more connectivity but lines on a map that aren't specific have caused some fear for homeowners exactly and I think that it's important for people to speak out and and express those fears because again the west side has been um People have given us a lot, made a lot of promises to us, and and said, "I'm not going to do this." And then it's done, and it's not what it's been presented. So I understand why people have those concerns, and but I also understand that we do have to do these updates. But do does that mean we have to expand the freeway and impact these neighborhoods? And that that's the question. Yeah. You know, what are some other solutions? And those are the conversations we're having with UDOT. And I, I was talking to um, um, the Wasatch Front Regional Council council um staff um today i ran into them and these are the convers andrew who who leads it who i've worked with on other projects and so these are the conversations we're going to start having now and and making sure that we're holding people accountable and we're really looking at how will this impact our neighborhoods and how does this tie into the import coming the prison and and growth and um what are other ways of getting people from point A to point B without expanding a freeway. And I, and I think we need to look at those options when it comes to mass transit and public transportation. But also we have to look at the larger picture, which I'm raising, is there are some individuals in our community that have to drive to work and use those freeways. So how do we make sure we're um, also um, thinking about them, but also being looking at the environmental impacts and the environmental justice piece that are just as important? So heading into a legislative session, what's on your mind about this? Um, what bills have you started to see or hear? And Greg Hughes isn't around to spar with anymore, but there are still the, the power structure at the, at the state house. What are your concerns and how can people let their voice be heard this session? Well, one of my main concerns, and I know these are the concerns of um, Senator Escamilla as well, um, us coming in as the two minority leaders for our caucuses, um, housing is a huge issue. How do we ensure that um, people, um, we don't put people in compromising positions where they can't afford where they live and they start to experience homeless? You know, we, we have to address homelessness and there's um, there's a lot of funding that I'm hoping will go that way. But let's talk about before people experience homeless, let's talk about all those invisible people who are experiencing homelessness or on the verge of experiencing homelessness that often people don't see. And so we have to think about children and we have to think about um, health. And so, again, I look at things from a social determinants of health perspective and how do we make sure that we're um, providing the resources and support that our, our teachers need to lead out our public schools. And so going from housing, going to healthcare, um, going to public education, I mean, and safety. Safety is a huge concern for people here on the west side. And when I was knocking on doors, that was a big concern for them. So how do we make sure that we're helping some of our most vulnerable in our community, but not also um, putting people who are on the fringes or people who are are um, 
are, you know, living their day-to-day life in compromising positions mm. when we're talking about homelessness. Cause I don't think there's a, 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 a right way it's complicated. And I think when we talk about it, we need to look at how all people are impacted. Cause again, the West side and many people that I talked to on the West side, their concern were concerns with homelessness are, you know, um, I don't feel safe. And, you know, I think it's important to address that and just say that these aren't individuals that are saying not in my backyard. Yeah. And and I think a lot of times that there are people when I was knocking on doors in, in Glendale and Poplar Grove that were saying, we want to help people who are experiencing homelessness, but we have some concerns. And um, there's been certain incidents where somebody who um, might not even be experiencing homelessness, but someone that might have an addiction um, have, you know, made people feel uncomfortable um, to walk in their own neighborhood. So I think we need to look at all of those things and and not just point fingers at people and and really figure out how can we, as um, policymakers, how can we as elected officials work with community and find ways to address these issues. And one of those issues is housing and making sure that people are um, being able to work a job where maybe they only have to work one job because they're getting paid a salary where they can support their family. And a lot of times it's, it's really easy to blame people for their situation, but not looking how we all contribute to um, um, not helping people um, advance, whether it's education, whether it's um, um, buying a home. And so th- these are things that w- we need to have honest conversations about. Yeah, well, inter- and inter- expansion of Interstate 15 intersects with all of these because to get the land that you're going to need to make this expansion or even deal with the rebuild within the footprint, you start using the phrase eminent domain, which is um, for the sake of progress, the community, the freeway, we need this land, we're going to compensate you. And this part of Salt Lake City has a history from the original building of I-15 that was not positive. Exactly. And that's why I think individuals like Maria Garcia's and, and others sharing that history and, and reminding people is so critical and, and looking at um, issues. I mean, even businesses that are important to us, like I think about Red Iguana mm-hmm. in particular, and I, and I think about all the investment Lucy and Bill have done in our community. And and I think about neighbor works and all what they've done to provide people housing. And so these are our staples in our community and um, we need to make sure we're preserving them. And also individuals that might live in these homes, they might be renters. They might not be the actual yeah. owner and um, they're able to, that's all they're able to afford. Like we have to think about the impact of all people in the community, not just a group of people who are going to be using the freeway. Well, going into this next legislative session in the new year, you are going in as the first person of color and the second woman to serve as Utah House Minority Leader. Congratulations. Thank you. And you were recently back in D.C. And uh, tell us about your trip and the folks you got to meet. And you're recognized for your leadership as well. Yeah. So I've been working um, with the National Hispanic Caucus of State Legislators, and I was elected by my peers from across the country and, and Commonwealth to be their next president, so I'm president-elect. And part of that is working with um, the White House and particularly the vice president. So I have um, went back to D.C. Um, two times within the last six months to meet with her to talk about policy, talking to about... To meet with her. Meet with her 
and myself and a few other individuals that actually going to the White House, sitting in her ceremonial office and having conversations about abortion, about health care access, about inflation, and just what can we do at a national level and a state level to work together to reach out to our communities to protect people's voting rights. And so I've been very privileged in these roles to have that direct connection to the vice president and, and the president at times. I mean, I was able to go for the signing of Bears Ears, and that was a really neat experience for myself and Representative Briscoe. And so with um, working at a national level, and um, it also impacts um, how we represent here at a state level and the access and resources we can bring back to our states and our communities. So as Utah House Minority Leader, what are some of your priorities? Um, what are some of your plans? Can you reveal anything for us? We are still in those conversations. But again, our priority is always Utahns and, and our, the communities we represent and all Utahns. But for me, um, really an important piece is the housing Mm -hmm. housing and and also talking about people experiencing homelessness and how do we make sure we're using a housing first model how do we work with people who are unsheltered who may not feel safe in a shelter um, public education how do we make sure that um, we are paying our teachers and supporting our teachers and ensuring that our families are getting access to all the the things that they need for their families and our environment. I'm, I'm really big on environmental justice. Senator Escamilla and I have been working on these um, projects for a long time to address that. So there's there's tons to do. And um, as the minority leader, I'm working with um, our leadership team and with our caucus members to put those priorities together and not just react to the budget proposals of the governor and um, of the priorities of the majority, but to actually say this is the Utah we want to live in. These are this is how we would like to spend our funding, and and, and creating that sharing that vision with the community and showing why we need to elect more Democrats. <laughs> all right. So how can folks get involved? And is it all back in person this next legislative session? Uh, will you be keeping uh, some of the virtual contact? Yes, we'll be keeping some of the virtual contact. We will be in person and um, people can choose to wear a mask or they can choose not to wear a mask um, or they can choose to participate virtually. I think with the pandemic, the the one thing that was um, that was a benefit for all of us is that allowing people to be able to participate virtually and maybe um, having people be able to participate in the process that wouldn't be able to drive up to the Capitol, but they can um, log on and, and give their comment through um, virtual, through Zoom. And um, our chairs and and from what I've experienced in our, our co-chairs of our standing committees have been really good about providing people with the opportunity to express their opinion. But for me, what I tell people is um, find out who your elected official is, um, call them, uh, tell them what your concerns are. And if you feel like you're not being heard there, um, call our office and we'll, we'll work with you. And we're going to do the best we can to make sure that Utah is a place where everyone feels like they they are welcomed and that this is their home yeah so it's going to be an interesting session 45 days and um I, i'm excited to see what what comes up bill wise i know you're you're going to be watching the i-15 you mentioned homelessness quite a bit tonight and tonight is the homeless person's candlelight vigil down at at pioneer uh, park yes in the heart of the city it's going to get even colder with this arctic air 
and the governor has quite a quite a bit of money he wants to spend on housing. Um, does the state need to be this developer? What do you think we need to do to get this situation fixed? I applaud the governor for um, taking a, a you know a, a stance on this and and. Wayne Niederhauser, who's a former president, for really trying to Senate deep dive into right? yeah, mm-hmm. Senate president, really trying to deep dive into this, and and also not putting this all on the back of Mayor Menenhall and 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 the city and the city council. And you know, I've I've served in the legislature now for ten years. I'm going into my eleventh year, and um, I have some hope that we're actually moving forward as a state to address this issue because really, it's about housing first. Yeah. Really, it's about making sure people have access to health care. I mean, those are two primary things that we need to um, be able to provide the citizens of Utah. And so I, I have that hope. And we'll see how the session progresses because the governor can provide his budget. And um, we never know what's going to happen. And that's why we're up there for 45 days. So I encourage people to share their concerns, um, to share what they'd like to see. Um on a personal note, I'll be um, expand. I will um, ask for another year for the Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girl Task Force. I'm actually going to change the title to Murdered and um, Murdered and Missing Indigenous Relatives because it was something that was um, requested by our tribal, well, our Indigenous communities. And um, I'll still continue to work on um, legislation on sexual assault. But as the minority leader, my main priority is to make sure that. Um, my whole caucus flourishes and they're able to um, meet the needs of their constituents and and all Utahns. And again, really housing and and dealing with inflation. And the one thing I disagree with the governor and and many of my colleagues on is, and, you know, we'll have these conversations is I don't know if we really need to give some tax breaks. And so how can we use that money to um, further help people get into housing? So there's going to be some interesting conversations up there, but I think it's important to it's okay to have differences and different opinions on things. So how, how can people get in touch? Because your district is changing from 26 to 25, so everyone yeah. needs to check out le.utah.gov, right? Yes, and find out who their representative is because I 60% of my district now is West Valley and 40% is Salt Lake City. Your email, your phone, all of that is on your, your uh, le.utah.gov webpage. We'll put mm-hmm. that in the show notes. And please come back. We need to get Representative Hollins on now. We've had you and Senator Escamilla and the mayor. We're going to keep covering I-15. Thank you for your time tonight during the holidays. And thank you for having me. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for tuning in. Tomorrow night, the ACLU of Utah wants you for its 2023 Community Legislative Action Team. Plus, we're going to talk about grief during the holidays with poet Amy Schaefer. And then on Friday, Best of Punk Rock Farmer Friday with Aldine and me. More details, questions, comments, suggestions, visit our website, krcl.org. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. KRCL, Salt Lake City. There's nothing like good music. And with your help, we can continue KRCL's mission of music discovery. See if your employer will match your recent donation to KRCL and double down on your support. Make a gift, pick out a t-shirt, and see if your employer matches contributions at krcl.org.